you know, and I ain't the first to do it. I'm not the best, you know, but I, but I think the way I do it makes me different. The more you listen to music and learn about the people who make it, the more you realize how much the songs, the songwriters, the structure, the history, and how abundantly everything about music is flowing from a common source. Then it all rains back down in different places before streaming back together. The business of music has done a great job putting music in separate boxes, with styles being labeled as blues, reggae, jazz, rock, and on and on. We have been conditioned to think of music in these terms a lot like how we think of ideologies. People are used to pretty clear lines about political parties and religions, for example, and the majority pick one from each and stay with it, similar to how they associate themselves with one brand or another. Music can resemble those branded ideologies too, at least when it comes to buying and selling it. We can get hung up on labels. It's human nature. The first question someone is likely to ask you when you become acquainted is, what do you do? What you do for a living is a label, a way of defining you, an easy handle to keep in mind. Whenever you talk about music with someone new, that question is probably, what kind of music do you like? Of course, they're looking for a handle, a label. If you say you like rap and hip hop, and they like country, then you may have a really short conversation. But as you will learn with our guest Charlie Crockett, all those terms and preconceptions should be thrown out the window. They are just bins in a store designed to sell you something you think you know is different. Really, they are much the same. These various styles and genres of music may have flowed from different streams, but they all meet again in a bigger river, a bigger lake, eventually making it back to the ocean from where they came. I'm Joe Kendrick, and this is Southern Songs and Stories. In this episode, a lively conversation with self-described golf and western artist Charlie Crockett as well as Mark Neal, the producer of his latest album, Welcome to Hard Times. We will feature plenty of music from that collection of mostly original tunes as well, like the song you're hearing now, Run Horse Run. Southern Songs and Stories is produced in partnership with Grassroots Radio, WNCW, and Osiris Media at osirispod.com and is available wherever you get your podcasts and at wncw.org. One easy and helpful way to spread awareness of the artists featured here, their music, and the series is to subscribe to this podcast and give it a good rating and a comment on the platforms where you listen to your podcasts. This is Southern Songs and Stories, the music of the South, and the artists who make it. Osiris Media's latest podcast is Comes a Time, a conversational interview series with musician Oteil Burbridge and comedian Mike Vinoya. Oteil and Mike welcome guests from a variety of backgrounds, musicians, comedians, civic and spiritual leaders, activists, journalists, environmentalists, and others to discuss the road that led us to where we are today and where we go from here.
All episodes will be available in audio and video format. You can watch Comes a Time on YouTube and listen on any podcasting platforms such as Apple Podcasts and Spotify, as well as the Osiris website. If there's anything that I would hope I could influence people to do, it would be by looking at me, seeing that you can have loaded dice, chip stack against you, damn things rigged, you better believe it is, but you gotta, you gotta play anyway, and you can, you can play your hand and carve something out for yourself. I remember I was young. I learned about the dollar Looked down the barrel of a gun If you ask me where I'm going I can't tell you cause I don't know But in my mind I see the valley This is the title track to Charlie Crockett's 2019 album, also a record of almost all original songs, called The Valley. It's an autobiographical tune that gives you a summary of his life story, which we talked about more in depth in our interview, which was recorded in the middle of June this year. Charlie, who was staying near Taos, New Mexico at the time, also spoke at length about his new album after I noted how he had said he wanted to make something Gulf Coast, country, and Western simultaneously, and asked how much of that desire was conscious and how much of it was instinctual. Man, you just said it right there. I mean, I'd say it's all instinctual, almost all of it, and then the little part of it that's not was just me figuring out that that's what I was doing and what to call it. That's how I feel about it, you know, because my roots are my roots are in the Gulf, of course. I was born on the Gulf where the Rio Grande River comes out. At the Gulf of Mexico, at the very bottom tip of Texas that separates the border between the two countries. I was born ten minutes off that river. And uh and then I also big part of how I shaped my sound was all the time I spent as a kid in New Orleans and then as an adult playing in the you know, I I was I spent a lot of time in the quarter as a kid. And then I went, ended back up on them same streets as a young man and picking up all the sounds that I, that I put together. And, uh, you know, that's a lot of golf in there and that's all golf and Western sounds, you know, have been in my growing love for the roots of, of country music that have, you know, blossomed in me as I've gotten older. And, uh, I always was playing a mix of country and blues and, you know, folk and R&B and stuff from, you know, just casting a wide net on the street, you know. Uh, but then I had some particular people, like uh, not as many folks know about him as they should, but big inspiration, a friend and a, and a legend in my eyes. He passed away just last week, uh, James Hand, uh, Texas native. And uh, well, I guess I found out about James in Austin, Texas about five years ago. And uh, I guess the man that he was and his music had more influence on me developing my Western sound 
and anybody else. And then also just some of the other artists that I have come in contact with that I would consider my peers and stuff over the last few years in the storytelling and, and Western music, country music, and the, uh, you know, the heritage of America that comes through the, you know, the, the, the open West that comes with all of its, uh, treachery and, uh, you know, adventure and, misconceptions and triumphs and you know uh children of coronado searching for gold up in the mountains whatever you want to call it you know that's golf and western right there well some people might consider rap music and country music blues music to be somewhat mutually exclusive but increasingly there are roots and americana type artists who cite rap and hip-hop as primary influences and how if how if freestyling and rap factored into your songs well i appreciate you asking me that um what can i say hip-hop music if you was born in the 80s or 90s or later would be the folk music of the modern era you know growing up in texas you know the first the the underground you know woody guthrie type stuff that i would have first seen or jimmy rogers or lead belly type of thing would have been the guys that were handing out mixtapes of, you know, sampled music and slowed down pop hits with, uh, you know, new freestyle raps and hooks over the top of them getting handed out, of, you know, CDs getting pushed out of trunks in Dallas and Houston, San Antonio and all those places. And uh, that's how I got into music. You know, I didn't. I didn't get a I didn't get a guitar till I was seventeen years old. My mama got me a guitar at a pawn shop, but I was listening to hip hop much younger than that, and I identified with the struggle. I identified with the folk roots of identity going on in uh, you know the African American community in the in poor white America and. Uh, you know, the Latino community and Native Americans from all different folks, all different backgrounds relating in our generation to this music because it was talking about struggle in a similar way that blues, music, and country, early roots of country was the same thing to the common folk 100 years ago. And I guess that's about as plainly as I can put it. And, uh, you know, playing sports, you know, I was raised by a single mother, you know, so a lot of my male role model uh, influence came from organized sports and public schools and I know that that was the same for a whole lot of single boys like myself or, or you know men raised by their mothers or uh, young men and uh, you know we freestyled together in basketball and practice <clears throat> after school and when we got together I mean that's what you did you know I mean and, and that's where I got my sense of melody. That's where I was exposed to um, the samples of earlier types of music, like like earlier rhythm and blues, you know, like stuff like Nina Simone, and Wendy Renee, and Ray Charles, and just the not, I mean, any number of artists that were get we were getting exposed to their music in a way we could relate to. It made more sense coming through hip-hop than it would have just coming out of context necessarily hearing in, you know some 50s doo-wop you know in the grocery store i remember that too i remember hearing the supremes 
probably when I was first time for like eight years old or something at a Payless shoe store or something, you know, and I liked it. But the vehicle that really brought the earlier generation of the music to me was the way that the young generation through hip hop and R&B made it relevant again. I was, I mean, you can hear it in my sound, you know, I think you always can, even as much as I've become known in country music, I think the way that I bring all that stuff together is really evident. Actually, this next single that I'm dropping, particularly, you know, the first one I dropped, the title track, Welcome to Hard Times, is me going about as early, dark, you know, kind of gothic country as I can get, and uh, which I'm proud of, because, I mean, I love me some tear jerker George Jones from the early 60s, but this next one I'm putting out, Run Horse Run, is a good example of a kind of chameleon kind of rep- the reputation as I'm, that I have to be stylistically a chameleon, which uh, Doug Freeman called me that in the press in Austin a couple years back, which I always actually kind of appreciated that thing. People tend to understand what they what 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 is meant when somebody calls me a stylistic chameleon. You know, maybe I look like one too. But uh, <laughs> Run Horse Run is a uh, is a good example of how I'm combining those styles of our country and Western influences and hip hop and soul, folk and blues and swing, jazz, gospel. It's a real good example of how somebody like me puts all that stuff together, you know, and I ain't the first to do it. I'm not the best, you know, but I, but I think the way I do it makes me different. And, uh, you know, I could name a lot of influences that were able to do that, you know, from Jimmy Rogers, Woody Guthrie, the, you know, Lightning, Lightning Hopkins and Ray Charles. I mean, these people were great synthesizers of you know robert johnson was like that you know uh who i'm greatly influenced by you know a lot of people look at him you know a lot of folks want to mention robert johnson as this museum piece i don't think they're looking too close at him a lot of folks because i listen to a lot of robert johnson and i hear a lot of pop music from 30s radio and i know this because i listen to a lot of that stuff a lot of the stuff that was on the the radio in the 30s 20s and 30s and you can hear like a lot of the blues queens of that era, like Bessie Smith, for example. There's so many lines in Robert Johnson songs that make me feel like he was hearing her on the radio a lot and hearing a lot of the pop music on the radio. And B.B. Uh, King verified this in an interview once because he had said, he said, man, all these musicologists, these blues ecologists, they like to come around the Delta go to this section of the Delta, you know, the Fires Point and say, this is the sound that came from this section. Uh, you go to Clarksdale and say, well, this is indication of the sound that came from these folks in this section, and so on and so forth, down through the regions of the Delta. And he said, he said, as a Delta boy, I'm here to tell you that I outright copied Lion Lemon Jefferson and Lonnie Johnson directly off the radio. You know, and... Um, I think that that's really telling because what if that sounds complicated, basically what B.B. King was saying is people can come in here and dissect the Delta and that ain't got nothing to do with how it really went down. How it really went down is listening to the radio. That's the long-winded thing I'm trying to tell you is, you know, Robert Johnson was not just this country blues god that came off the side of a river and never had any interaction with America of his times. No, he was a great broadcaster 
sweeping through the countryside, picking up all the flavor and melding into his thing. That's what I'm trying to say about Jimmy Rogers. That's what I'm saying about, I mean, hell, a lot of the great country guys did that. I'd say that that's what uh, Roger Miller was doing, you know. He was incredible at doing that, you know. And, uh, and I think that's what a lot of great artists of this era are doing with hip-hop music. That's what the type of music getting produced and getting sung over and all that type of stuff. I mean, it's building on the roots foundation of American music, which is, has a large influence of, you know, black America coming from folk roots and the struggle of, you know, uh, folks in the South from any side of the aisle you want to cut it, but coming out of struggle with like jazz music and country and roots music, whether it's coming out of Appalachia or if it's coming, you know, from the Latino or European communities in Texas, which don't tend to get nearly as much uh, recognition for our, our contributions, I think, to country music compared to like Appalachia, which I love Appalachian music, play a lot of dang banjo. It's a diverse thing, and uh, it doesn't come out of a vacuum, you know. You're going to be influenced by who's dominating the commercial airways of the radio, and it don't, it don't matter what area you're coming out of, you know. It's going to leave a shade of something on you. Life's a casino I'm telling you And everybody's playing Boys and girls, women, children, me and you The dice are loaded And everything's fixed Even a hobo would tell you this Welcome to hard times And feeling low Do you like sinning? No Well you will be before you go We got lots of gambling Oh, and we're telling lies You're certainly welcome Hard times. A bit of the song Welcome to Hard Times, the title song to album number seven for Charlie Crockett, recorded at Soil of the South Studios in Valdosta, Georgia, hometown to producer Mark Neal, who won a Grammy for his work on the Black Keys album Brothers. Dan Auerbach of the Black Keys co-wrote one of the songs on Welcome to Hard Times, joining in with others like Pat McLaughlin, and Mark Neal on the songs from the record that were co-written with Charlie Crockett. One of those songs is Fool Somebody Else, which Charlie began some 15 years ago at the beginning of his career, but which he didn't finish until working with Mark, who turned Charlie on to 1960s-era Jerry Reed records and helped him finish writing the song. I've, you know, was very influenced by uh, Jerry Reed. The... One of the things that I, what I was telling Charlie, as I said, there's an untapped resource here. There's different ways that he, you know, rhythmically, the way that he, that he does things that most people just never, they never even, they just pass right over it. They don't even look. And I think that that's a, that's a definite resource to look at how he did things and be inspired by that. And so we didn't have a particular song on that one. 
we just sort of had like this, we were, I was playing the earliest of it, you know, the early 60s up to about 66. That's when I stopped is about 66. And um, we were just pretty much uh, playing that and drinking coffee and playing that in the morning. And ideas started to form really quickly. And Charlie latched on to the way he rhythmically puts things together. And, uh, and of course, Charlie's got a voice not unlike his anyway. So um, it wasn't hard to come up with something in the spirit of an early Jerry Reed feel. It wasn't, it wasn't difficult at all. And, you know, again, Charlie's young, so, you know, why would he know about a record from 63 by Jerry Reed? I mean, why? No, nobody does. And, you know, most of this stuff isn't even on the Internet. It's just on 45s. So, you know, here I've got a wall of records. So we, we can go in there and listen. And that's, uh, that's another thing that uh, record production is to me is inspiration. And uh, playing these records, uh, you know, kind of opens your mind. You know, you just uh, hear a record from 59, 60, something like that, and you go, oh, my gosh, that's, that's modern. <laughs> you know, that's, that's on point today. That works. And then you listen to the way the beat's done and the way the melody's done, and you just go, we can write a whole song in that tradition. You know, like the way they used to do dance moves, you know, the twist or the holly gully or whatever, you know it's not a format really it's just it's just sort of a feeling you know what i mean and boy that's a broad thing right there <laughs> you know when we started this process me and him were talking gosh i don't even know almost a year about it and one of the things that i told him is i said if you'll humor me i you know i really really want to make a record that changes the conversation about country music and he goes that is exactly what I want to do and I said really to be honest with you if we don't this thing's gonna die and sink into southern boogie rock Americana because a lot of that music really is it's very derived from Leonard Skinner and Marshall Tucker band and you know a lot a lot of the Allman Brothers there's just too much slide guitar on uh, country music now and I don't mean pedal steel I'm talking about you know like Dwayne Allman style rock music and not that that isn't good or it's bad or anything. It's just the hybrid has been trotted out for so long, and and it keeps and it keeps happening over and over and over again. It's almost since Graham Parsons passed away, nobody could get over that era of country rock, West Coast, whatever. They couldn't get over it, and everybody just kept building on that and building on it, and they left behind a legacy of music that was really rich and really incredible. And it's gotten to the point where country music really does mean guys that look like Vikings with big beards, you know, playing Les Pauls and stuff. Same old situation coming back again. I suppose it's been the fate of many, many men I tried and tied and tried and tied to please that girl Oh, but I found out it simply does not end Oh, somebody else Do it to yourself, mama Tell me how it feels when you hold somebody tight 
Just to see them go in the middle of the night Would you give up all your love? If you already knew it would never be enough Put my heart back on the shelf Why don't you fool somebody else? We've reached the bitter, bitter end And there's no more light I lost my bestest, precious friend You tried, I lied, you cried About anything at all And I still found out I'm never gonna win Fool somebody else Do it to yourself, mama, tell me how it feels when you hold somebody tight Just to see them go in the middle of the night, would you give up all your love? If you already knew it would never be enough, put my heart back on the shelf Why don't you fool somebody else? Somebody else Do it to yourself Like you're doing it to me Hold somebody close Knowing very well That they just about to leave Trust them with your heart Even though you know They betray you from the start Fool somebody else Cause what you're doing Ain't good for my health Somebody else Do it to yourself, mama Tell me how it feels when you hold somebody tight Just to see them go in the middle of the night Would you give up all your love? If you already knew it would never be enough Put my heart back on the shelf Why don't you fool somebody else? That's Fool Somebody Else, which Charlie said in another interview was influenced not only by Jerry Reed, but also Aaron Neville and early Willie Nelson. I think it's somewhere in a world of its own between Bill Withers and Lee Hazelwood, he said. If you're looking for ideas to make a playlist based on Charlie Crockett's influences, you might want to jot down those and some more music artists that Charlie talked about when I asked him about the similarities between country and soul music. Uh, there's a lot of social constructs that divide up, you know, country and blues. But, you know, somebody, the artist playing this stuff, you know, I was playing rhythm and blues and soul and all that type of stuff, but they didn't ever want to call me that, you know. They never wanted to call me that. They wanted to call me Americana. They wanted to call me country music, you know. And uh, they want to put it in a box. They want to compartmentalize it. And I don't even necessarily trying to paint that as a negative thing. It's just people want to simplify stuff to understand it. 
you know, they can call it what they want, you know. And But, I mean, <clears throat> look at Hank Williams, you know. He's a real good example of we all look at him as this kind of god of country music. But when he was starting out, they were looking at him like he was crazy. Country music didn't have respect. You know, there was no country music. It was hillbilly music, you know. And the country music was this highbrow parlor floor society thing going on in Nashville that doesn't look anything you know, didn't look anything at that time like it did 10, 20 years later. You know, very highbrow society. You know, I imagine people going to the, down to the fancy racetrack and men running around in suits, and, you know, an Eddie Arnold type of country music, which I don't got nothing against Eddie Arnold, but Hank Williams different than that. And, uh, you know, the man learned basically entirely from the street, you know. And I want to point this out, the black man that, that he credited T-Top. I mean, he credited that man for teaching him everything he knew. And the only reason I'm bringing this up to you is it's not, a, I don't want to make it about anything besides the music is that what those guys was playing on the street in Montgomery, Alabama, where he learned all that stuff is the same thing that I was doing when I was on the street for 10 years, which is you're playing all the different songs that you're picking up. And guess what you're playing? Mostly you don't give a dang what they call it. You're going to play the polka if that's what's going to get you, you the money on the street from the person passing by, which is like, so it doesn't, it doesn't matter. It didn't matter. You know, it's like the reason I started playing Ernest Tubbs songs, reason I started playing like up tempo, traditional jazz music and stuff is number one. Of course I liked it. I liked all that music, but I threw out the stuff that they wasn't paying no attention to. And I kept the stuff in there that those tourists wanted to hear. And you know, they loved hearing buy me best do Shane, which was an old Yiddish song that got kind of turned into like a, Creole, you know, New Orleans thing. Uh, that song probably made me more money than any other song. Uh, Driving Nails in My Coffin, the Ernest Tubb way of doing it, man. I mean, that song just, I mean, I ate, I mean, I broke bread off that dang song, you know. <laughs> I play it over and over all day. Uh, all of me, Billie Holiday, all these songs. I, I mean, I just, you know, and, and, and I guess I'm rambling here, but with, with what I'm saying about Hank is that, you know, the, they tend to look at him and say, this is what country music is. But you got to remember, when he was doing it, they were looking at him crazy. And it was hillbilly music, and wasn't nobody going to understand it. Didn't nobody, you know, the publishers didn't want to publish it. They claimed the DJs didn't want to play it. You know, nobody respected hillbilly music, all this type of stuff. And if you really listen to Hank, he's bringing all that amalgamation of stuff off the street together. He's taking that show tunes, radio stuff he was doing. You know, why they call him the hillbilly Shakespeare and stuff, is he really was creating this popular music sound which is why his music translates so well into mainstream music of even of his era because you gotta remember hank williams would have these hits with his hillbilly voice and that unusual playing st singing style which before it became popular he was told would never work they always tell you that you know because a lot of these folks just by the nature of their position cannot see what's coming just how it is can we talk a little bit about uh, how you might see culture and history of the South, maybe especially Texas, because Texas is its own thing as far as the rest of the South goes. How does that factor into your life and your music, especially? When I was living in some, on some farms in Northern California years ago, I ran into this older fella. He was in the 70s at the time. His name was Jamie Weber. I don't even know if he's still alive. Way he smoked cigarettes and the coffee had, I'm thinking he ain't. But he uh, he lived in that county that I was staying in, uh, 
Mendocino County. And he had used to work for Elector Records back in its heyday when they had all those big West Coast bands like The Doors and all those people popping off. Actually, he was Lonnie Mack's manager, if you happen to know who he is. I remember he told me a couple of things when I was working on those farms, man. I was mewing, you know, I was moving soil, working on, you know, doing fence work, working, you know, with cattle, working in ganja, doing whatever I could out there. And I did a lot of that work, you know. It, I can tell you, a street player like me, half the time I was on the street, the other half the time I was working on somebody's farm or trying to just get down the highway. And I remember old Jamie Weber, man, there's two things that he said to me that always stuck with me. One, he said, man, whenever you get down on yourself and you feel like giving up on this music dream, he said, remember, at any time you can go back to that work you were doing and you can do what those folks are doing, but they can't necessarily do what you do. And I don't want you to forget that. And I know he was just trying to tell me not to stop, but I needed to hear it at that time. The other thing he told me, he said, one thing that can never be taken away from you is that you were born in Texas and that is worth something in this world. And the reason I tell you that is because, you know, growing up the way I did, it's easy to find a lot about my background. You know, I had it hard. You know, did I have it the hardest? No, there's people I can look at it that had it harder than me. There's no doubt about it. And for that, I'm grateful for the things that I had. But it's easy for me to look up above me and see all the folks that probably couldn't walk a mile in my shoes. And that's a long list of folks that couldn't. And for that reason, I was running from Texas for a long time because I did have it hard, you know. Uh, I just did. It wasn't easy. It was easy. I never left. I'd have just taken my place on the parlor floor and done what folks that have the option to live that way do. But that wasn't me. You know, it never was. It never going to be. And I was running. But in running, the further I ran, the more music I played, the more cities I played on the street corners of. The older I got, the more I started realizing that the Texas was in my soul and that the blues sounds of Deep Ellum, the country and folk sounds of the promenade dance in the rural farms and the agricultural communities of Texas with its diverse lineage from Germans and African and Latino and you know, Northerners and Southerners and all these different folks, all this stuff, the Creole and Cajun influence and the Jewish influence coming in from Houston and the, and the Russian immigrants, all these different people. It's why Texas has its own thing, you know, which is, you know, we can't like, like there's Appalachia and it's a, it has a, it's very important, you know, and it has all its sounds. It's got the mountain sounds and the, the banjos and the fiddles and the, and the European folk songs and the African folk songs and the, and the human bondage of the, the oppressed versus the oppressor and all this stuff, you know, and, and in that way that we can relate to Appalachia and, and Texas and all that stuff, but we have our own thing and, you know, it's a big land. It's a very big land. And so it's like, when you talk about blues music, there's a big difference between Delta blues and Texas blues. And one of the reasons is because if you're looking at Delta Blues, you're looking at uh, a whole list of, you know, folks that come out of there that we've been talking about, you know, like Robert Johnson. Uh, but in Texas, you know, we talk about Lightning Hopkins. You know, we talk about Mans Lipscomb. And that's because, you know, it is a very big place, you know, and shaped by its land. And the older I get, it's like, it, it, you know, I don't. Yeah, I mean, I have a lot of pride in being a Texan, you know, and I mean, I'm, I live in Texas now, 
you know, and I think I just reached a certain age where I where I overcame what I was running from because I had found myself musically, but I had to recognize my Texas heritage and become proud of and accept those roots. You know, that's a Texas thing for sure that you'll find anywhere, but I think that's true of anybody in America or the world is that you're always attached to the place that you're born and you can run from it. And a lot of times there's awful good reason to run from it, but I would venture to guess that every single person ends up feeling more and more tied to the place that they were born the older they get. At least that's what I've found out so far. I'm happy to carry it with me, but let's not forget about, uh, if I talk about Texas, we've got to talk about that state shaped like a boot right next to it, which is Louisiana. Uh, which is why I always talk about my music as Texas and Louisiana or otherwise another way you call it is Gulf and Western, you know, is, you know, you got the Gulf sound of tech of Louisiana and you got the Western sound of Texas. And then of course, Texas also has its Gulf roots. That about does it for our show. Thanks for listening. And I hope you might tell a friend about us here at Southern songs and stories. You can subscribe to this series on your podcast platform of choice And it helps even more when you give it a good rating and a review. Great ratings and reviews especially will make Southern songs and stories and the artists it profiles more visible to more people just like you. And it helps to spread awareness and make more people connected when you like and follow the show on our social media. You can find us on our Facebook page, Southern Songs and Stories, on Twitter, at South Scenes, and on Instagram, at South Stories. Southern Songs and Stories is part of the podcast lineup of both Public Radio, WNCW, and Osiris Media, with all of the Osiris shows available at osirispod.com. You can also hear new episodes of this podcast on Bluegrass Planet Radio at bluegrassplanetradio.com. Thanks also to Kat Trujillo at The Next Waltz, Lindsay Reed at 30 Tigers, and Angela Backstrom at Angela Backstrom Promotions for helping set up interviews with Charlie Crockett and Mark Neal. Our theme songs are by Joshua Ming. I'm your host and producer, Joe Kendrick, and this is Southern Songs and Stories, the music of the South and the artists who make it. That's how I am. And that amulet that I wear, it's pretty much the same only one I wear for about the last five years. I got it out of this old shop in East Dallas, and uh, I just liked it, you know, it had the kind of, looked like the rising phoenix, but it um, it's a falcon, you know, it's a falcon, and the falcon is a big, powerful symbol since the beginning of time, and I didn't know much about what that amulet symbolized when I first got it. It just drawn I was just drawn to it, you know, just like a guitar. You don't know nothing about it, but you're just drawn to it. You like the way it plays or you know, you know who makes it. Later on I found out that the that, that image represented protection from the net you know, and crossing to the next world and healing in this one. And uh considering all the things that I've been through in my life, I felt like I am pretty fitting for me, so I never take it off unless I break the chain. Actually, I was out on a, I was out on a, an old paint, really nice horse that I was uh, borrowing in the San Luis Valley and up uh, in the San, uh, it's in the, that, you know that valley? It's the, it's a large, really big agricultural valley in between the San Juan Mountains and the Sangre de Cristos. 
I think it might be the largest agricultural, subalpine agricultural valley in the world. But uh, this, uh, this guy and gal got me on this paint, and I was running out there in that valley out on the Orient Land Trust, and I was, man, I was really getting out and stretching this, this horse to really run. And uh, my chain broke off. I didn't even notice that it had broken off, but she had seen something fall off, and I didn't think it was anything. I thought it was a rock that had got kicked up. And I didn't think about it. And then later when we was done and the sun was going down and the horse was all trailered up, I was looking down at my chest and the necklace was gone. And I, and I hit me. I was like, oh, I know what it was. That necklace. But I was out there running around on that <clears throat> BLM land, uh, that public land trust out there. I thought, man, I'm never going to find it. You know, I'm just going to chalk this one up to the gods. It's been five years. This is a good way to let it go. And my girl said, just drive down that dirt road that there's like a four by there's like a jeep trail up along the fence where we was running that horse. It goes way off in there in the sagebrush and stuff. And she really was like, just do it once for me. And so I drove the truck down there. And uh drove about a mile down, and there was like a little creek you could dip through. I was like, on the other side of it, there's a little pullout so you didn't get all up in the cactus. And I said, Well, I, I've already been looking down driving with my hand on the wheel and looking out the window at the dirt there's just like no way I'm gonna find this thing right and we right as we hit that little gully I'm looking down and that ambulance right there on the side of the road after I'd already decided we're gonna find it and uh and I picked it up the chain was long gone uh moral of the story is I got the ambulance it's in my truck but the chain must have exploded off because I was running that horse so hard the chain's gone but I got the ambulance back and there's got to be a lesson in that